biblical tradition. This is Joshua Bell in the Tilt in the Cloth in my Tuesday morning Bible study as we begin in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, but we are going, we're not skipping the parable of the wicked tenants. We're just not going to read them today um, because I want to get to the question about resurrection because we're having this discussion specifically uh, honestly, in a uh, Midrashic way about the resurrection story. Matthew has a very distinct understanding of Jesus's death and resurrection. He is rising from the grave and becoming the new emperor. Um, that's on purpose, right? Like this is uh, the defeat of Roman Empire. Everything has changed. Mark, on the other hand, like I've said before, I use a different professor or a different writer, uh, Dr. Hal Tossig, and his idea, and he's not alone in this. There's a lot of them believe that the Gospel of Mark was written in the aspect of grief, trauma, and pain. So the Temple of D Jerusalem has been destroyed probably in between or during the writing of the Gospel of Mark. And... Um, this resurrection story has a different meaning to them. Um, geographically, we know that it's a different area. And so when we start talking about resurrection, um, there's, there's a, there's a style that Mark is very unique in. Um, so for example, there's a, uh, there's a difference in rhetorical styles in argument. So let's say you've got Sadducees. Well, they've been taught uh, to debate as legal experts. This is their job. You know, I always say that they're like the lawyers of the time or legal advisors of the time. So they're advising on Torah. You've got priests that are saying, well, yes, that's correct. However, <laughs> Uh, when you come to worship and you come to the temple, these are the things that you have to do. There's no negotiation. There's no discussion. This is what has to happen. Then there's Pharisees. Pharisees are the ones that are teaching Torah to all of us, you know, to the audience. That's the most important part, the audience. Not necessarily always bad people. Uh, the idea that the gospel's right, this, it's to say that there are some that will uh fail. Just like in our world, some of our religious leaders will fall. Um, and then there's scribes. Uh, I think all the gospel writers can agree that they don't like them. <laughs> um, they they get treated differently. They're, they're able to read and write. They also have a lot of power um, because if you write the history, you have the power to say who's in charge and who wins. So nobody really likes them. Um, so when I say this is that what Jesus does in the Gospel of Mark is he argues with them uh, intellectually through a process of rhetoric um, as if he is a rabbi. Um, this is extremely important to recognize as a difference. So he's he's classically trained according to the Gospel of Mark. He has the ability to have this conversation with them. And, you know, you say that I am kind of thing he, right. or he'll answer with a question right like i'll answer that if you answer this yeah and that's a, and that's a that's, that's a rabbinical and that's a rabbinical thing it's also a style 
of writing. So um, I'm making a big deal out of this because when they start talking about the resurrection, they don't understand. I mean, look, let's, let's be honest. None of us understand the resurrection, right? Like, how is this physically possible? Why is this so important? Um, you know, it's really great to celebrate it on Easter, but let's be honest, we're going to spend the rest of our existence trying to understand, okay, Jesus rose from the grave. What does that really mean? Now, if you're a Sadducee and your job is to be the legal advisors for a group of people that believe something, like a group of elders, and this guy comes in and says, I'm going to raise from the grave, you're going to have problems with them. <laughs> well, at least I hope so. <laughs> you know, you're going to ask questions and you're going to ask it in a safe place. And you're, you're going to want to know, why is this guy that we all knew from Nazareth, Joseph's boy, why is he saying this in front of everybody and with a sense of authority like a rabbi? That's where we are in Mark chapter 12. He has just got done telling this parable of the wicked tenants. And the, the objective of this story is, is that he says to them, and the, the only part that I'm going to read this uh, is this, he, he in verse 10, he uses a passage of scripture uh, from Psalms that talks about, have you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. He was talking about him, and the people uh, were the builders. So uh, they obviously get upset. Uh, the leaders really are angry with him. And and then we get to that part where the, the, the most famous passage of all time uh the Pharisees come to him, and I love how Mark says, and some Herodians. Herodians are a group of people that are not Jewish, uh, contrary to popular belief and what we've taught in Sunday school. Herodians are uh, workers or um, employees of Herod at this point. This is Herod Antipas. And remember, all of these Herods work for Rome. So you've got the Pharisees, a.k.a. the teachers and the employees of Herod, and they ask him the question about taxes. And what does he do? Well, they ask him, uh, so are you saying we shouldn't pay taxes? Should, should we do that? And he does this beautiful rabbinical rhetorical answer. He's, you know, it's the, I, and I'm just going to read it right there. He says, um, uh, where is that? It's, uh, but knowing the hypocrisy, he said to them, why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me see it. And this is verse 16. And so they brought one to him and he said, well, whose head is this on the, and whose title? They said the emperor's. And this is the, the part that we are all supposed to remember. Well, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. The word is Caesar in here, not. Yeah, emperor. it's definitely Caesar. I don't, I don't know why they translated it as emperor. No it is 100% Caesar, um, even in the ancient text. Kaiser Rose. Yeah. So, so give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and it's his name that's on it. And I had a whole eight-hour day talking about Roman coins and, and <laughs> how, how awesome it was and looking at their heads. And there was a, there's another part of this uh, that I love. 
and I'm going to rabbit trail for just a second. Uh, so the Caesars are the other voice in the background, but they don't speak in this story. Uh, the Herodians are a part of this conversation, but the Caesars are a part of this. Give me a denarius. Whose head is on this and whose title? Well, the head would have been Julius. Um, Julius Caesar's head would have been on it. And, and depending on what coin that they had, there are images with his head on one side and his, on the other side, it's a picture of him holding the, the world uh, on his shoulders. Um, and some would say that that's most likely Jupiter. So that because Caesar told everyone that he was the son of God, like this is I am the the Jupiter has chosen me. Um, and so on one side was Caesar's face and the other side was Jupiter's holding the world. Now, just imagine without having to speak to someone, you're seeing that person's face. And this is how the world operates is by this coin. Just think of the propaganda that goes with that. And what does Jesus do? He says, well, whose face is on this and whose title? Well, I would say emperor or ruler of the world. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, give him to, give Caesar what's Caesar. Give God what's God's because God supersedes him. But he didn't fall for the trap. Another part of the rhetorical banter. So. I have to have that conversation with you before we get into the resurrection story. Because Mark is a brilliant rabbinical writer who is trying to set us up in a way that said, Jesus gave us all the tools that we needed and we chose not to pay attention um, because we listened too much and didn't use uh, our gut enough. I would say, maybe, I don't know. I have to think more about how I would argue with that. But So here we go. You ready? Verse 18. Some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. There were seven brothers that first married, and when he died, left no children. And the second married, and the widow, and died, leaving no children. And the third, likewise, none of the seven left children. Last of all, the woman herself died. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? For the seven had married her. Okay, so just pause for a second. Rabbinical. Remember me saying this. This is a process called leveret marriage. We find this in Deuteronomy. It's the thing that we've talked about before. If I died and my brother would have to marry my wife, if they had kids, that child technically is mine, even though I'm dead. Okay? So it's a trap. Does he understand Torah? So what is the answer without us reading? Who's, who, uh, whose wife is she? In the resurrection, there shall not be marriage. Exactly. That's what his answer is going to be. <laughs> but if you're a Pharisee, what are they looking for? Where's the trap? Well, you're a Sadducee. Mm -hmm. 
the Sadducees believed in the resurrection, the Pharisees didn't, right? Opposite. Opposite. Yeah, yeah. I do this all the time. So that's the thing. They're gonna be like, they're, they're trying to get him to say there's a resurrection, and right. they don't believe. And it. they don't believe in it. So. That's exactly right. Okay. So they so trap, <laughs> trap number one. <laughs> yeah. Trap number two would be what? What's the answer based off of Torah? If all six of my siblings marry my wife, whose wife is she at the end? Hmm? She's your wife. She's my wife. Yeah, okay. That's the, the first husband. That's right. That's the yeah. Torah-based answer. And what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus says to them, "It is is not this the reason you are wrong? That you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, for are, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead, is that Angelios? I've lost my place. I'm sorry. That's, uh, it's verse 25. Angelo. Angelo. Okay, so it is angel. Like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the story about the bush? How God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is God, not of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. <laughs> so uh, so he answers them in this rhetorical style. You, you haven't read the scripture. This is not how this works. Um, you know this. You know better than this. Why are you trying me? I mean, I don't have to answer you. You know the answer. Um, but it's, uh, and as, as Sally commented, uh, there's there's not marriage in that moment. This, by the way, uh, y'all, this is where we get the theology of heaven. I want just, to just say that out loud. When we talk about heaven and we say, Will we recognize people? Will we know people? You know, well, you know, well, this is where we all, this is that moment. This, this is one of those places that when, when that happens, uh, when we're in heaven, there won't be any marriage. There won't be any of this stuff, but there's a, the church then eventually obviously says something different, right? That we'll recognize all of us. John says these things, not Mark. So this is a very early heaven conversation just got to point that out anthropologically this is a very early heaven conversation and he uses the word angels and this is the the problem that we run into because if you uh you have heard it said that when people die they turn into angels well that's not what it says here but people have have implied it from here it says they are like angels in heaven. And what are angels like based off of my sermon Sunday? Um, shining and bright was part of it, right? <laughs> yep. And don't be afraid. So a little scary to people who don't know what it is. Right. Bringing words yes. of comfort. Yeah. You know? Definitely that, yeah. So when you, when you die, when resurrected, you'll be like that. The church has said, well, they turn into, well, no, that's not what it says here biblically. So I just have to point that out. All right. Any questions, comments? All right. So here we go. 
So one of the scribes came near and heard, heard them disputing with one another and seeing uh, that he answered them. Well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Well, Jesus answered, the first is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Notice this one's different than the others. He adds soul and strength and mind. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe, remember, nobody likes him, <laughs> said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all of the heart and with all of the understanding and with all of the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all uh, than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God and that no one dared to ask him any question after that. No one dared that. to ask, ask any more questions. So notice that the scribe uh, has somehow got more of an understanding than the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Remember in the yeah. culture, like I said at the beginning, they don't like them at all. Um, so, yeah, I like that. I, I like that, too. I just I think about that sometimes with relationships I've had with people through the years, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they'll they're on a journey you know they're 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 learning about about god just like i have in my life and sometimes you hear them say something and you're like you're getting so close to coming <laughs> to the truth you know mm -hmm. and you can notice that jesus doesn't push it right like that's i think that's part of the hardest thing with christians mature christians and i don't know if that's a really good answer <laughs> people that have had Christ in their life longer, sometimes try to push it onto others that have just found Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like, why can't you see it? Right. You know, um, I, I see that happen a lot. I see that happen a lot with preachers. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there. I've only been studying it for 40 years. It's not my yeah. fault that you can't read. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's uh, a... <laughs> It's a scribe, don't you think? I mean, he's sitting there taking notes, basically. <laughs> I mean, he's hearing it all, mm -hmm. and and to me, I think he has a lot to ponder or <laughs> think about in his mind, even though he's writing. I mean, you know, he's going to go home and think, why? I mean, why are these people doing this? And it's so clear over here. So, time to tag on what you said. I was thinking in the scribe at that particular moment and him making this comment put him kind of in a dangerous position <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's a good point it does so these are these are all uh this is all interesting like these he's doing this um deuteronomy does not have so he's quoting with all of your Art Deuteronomy does not have the word mind in it. Uh, Jesus adds to that, um, which is, I find myself messing that phrase up a lot. Is that called like the Shema or Shema? Yeah, it's the Shema. Shema. Mm -hmm. That's love the Lord is God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to. So now he's, 
No, you made me want to have to pull it up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Notice that it doesn't have the phrase mind in it. Um yeah, the Shuma is a, an aspect of their faith. It's it's a um Kiro Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Um and as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. Notice that mind is not in there. And that's from Deuteronomy. This is a prayer that they do uh, as they begin all of their temple readings. And um, you know, when I was in Hebrew, we had to learn how to say it in Hebrew. And Baruch something, I deny. No, that was so. It might be something like that. It's though, pretty close. <laughs> Um, that was really cool to, at that Passover uh, Monday Thursday, just hearing hearing some Hebrew. Well, and you all became Hebrew scholars. We, we were scholars, so we would we got pretty good at that one sentence. That's right. <laughs> I am pulling it up now because it's it's just it's just, it's it's such a cool. There it is. So the, the phrase is Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad Baruch Shem Chavad Malchatu Laolem, which is literally, oh yeah, by it. Um, Hero Israel, where does it go? Well, Hero Israel, the Lord is, our God is, the Lord is one. And, uh, and then he goes on into that. The, you shall love your the love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and that's it. Um, and then and then in uh, and then he's quoting Leviticus nineteen eighteen with uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's been a lot of debate about this um, in the rabbinical teachings as to not that these are the not that the not that everyone can't agree on this, but. Um, why just those two? Because there's a couple others that are like that. Um, but this really does summarize in, in a Christian perspective, uh, the 10, right? Like the 10, that, that's the, the part that we tend to forget. Um, the 10 rule all of Israel. Then there's these 613 commandments designed to help live up the 10. And then what Jesus does here is, is he summarizes all of the 613 into two that support the 10, you know? So, um, well, I, I want to keep going because I want to, I want to get to 13 and then next week we have to do it all by itself. So while Jesus was teaching in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David, David himself by the Holy spirit. Notice that he says, Holy spirit. Does this say Holy spirit? Um, yep, that's Holy Spirit. Yeah, they, they didn't necessarily believe in Holy Spirit, so it's uh, an interesting conversation that they're bringing up theologically, but we'll just leave it alone. By the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how can he be his son? And the Lord, the large crowd was listening to him with delight. As he taught, he said, beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at banquets. 
They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. You remember me telling you that nobody likes the scribes? <laughs> yeah, there's there's your uh, there's your moment. Uh, this this part is kind of important. This is a, a, a direct conversation about uh, those that worked because scribes worked for both the temple and Rome because uh, they were the only ones that knew how to write. <laughs> um, the so the robes uh, wearing long robes. Uh, if you work for Rome and the temple, right, you have to look like a Roman citizen. So that's a direct slam on both those, I would say, sellouts. <laughs> You're Jewish, and yet you work for Rome, and you wear their clothes, and you do all of their stuff. Um, and, you know, this is this is what happens to you. God bless you on your journey. <laughs> and then let's get to the part that's kind of crazy, uh, which... Yeah. So he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a, a penny. Uh, say penny or dinner. Um, which is quadrantes. Quadrantes. To duo lep, lepta. Duo lepta. So well, lepta would be would be that's a the, lepta is what the coin is evidently yeah. called in Greek. Yep. And it's a small coin though. It's a small, small coin. coin. And codron codrontes is what they translated as penny, which they didn't have pennies, of course. Right. And I don't remember codrontes. I remember shekels and yeah, not codrontes. Sure. Not to, it'll pop into my head as soon as we walk away. Codrontes. Yeah, Codrontes. <laughs> Duolepta is obviously the two, uh, du and Lepta is, is the name of the coin. Evidently. Yeah. yeah. Lepta. Uh, then he called his disciples and said to them, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. All right. So we're going to pause just right there. Um, not, we're probably not going to finish there, but I just, okay. So, so when you've heard this preached, how has it been brought? Stewardship section of the, yep. of the service. <laughs> My favorite one. Yeah, I know you love that. Don't you? Yeah. You... I almost hate putting that slide up on the early service where it's like <laughs> great sermon stewardship. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. Well, we only did that with Lynn Scott because he wanted the sermon out of the way. It used to be after the communion. Offering? No. The the sermon? The sermon. That's offering interesting. Was, offering was before communion, I think. Offering is the weird thing to do in worship. And <laughs> That's true. Historically, they just, uh, you know, even Campbell, the sermon was... At the first of the service, because communion was the last thing you did. Okay. You, you took mm -hmm. the last supper and then you went out into the world, mm -hmm. you know, the remembrance thing. So I think I don't remember. I've been looking at it, trying to figure out where offering was. And he <laughs> doesn't write about it. He just said, you're supposed to give with your left hand. So your right hand doesn't know what you're giving or the right hand giving with your left hand doesn't know what you're doing. I don't, 
you know, I always get those messed up. And it sounds like this is a situation where it's this is at the temple, right? And it's yeah. almost like a money box where people yeah, so there's there's not offering like we do. No, no. like so there's this uh, inside the temple. There's this big courtyard that all of uh, well, only the Jews would have been able to go into. There's a court of but Gentiles. Women could go. Yeah, women could go into this big courtyard. This is so just to give you some background. So like this is the courtyard that everybody seems to think that the temple money changers were in. And so uh, when Jesus comes in, because women and men were all inside there, along the, there's these pillars that go along. So there's these, <laughs> slow down, Josh. It's a big facility. On the outside, there's like a garden. We call that the court of Gentiles, that people would just kind of hang out out there. Then you have to go through the walls. And the walls were tall, uh, 25, 30 feet tall. Um during, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess it up. There was a time that a Roman emperor came in and said that we have to put the image of uh, Caesar inside the temple. And so when he did that, he paid for the temple walls to be built high, and he put columns all the way along the inside of the temple courtyard. Well, that's kind of cool. And it was brilliant because what they did is, is in the courtyard, they made these little conical uh, things that went into the columns. And inside the column was a box made out of like copper or brass. And so when you came in, you would drop your money literally into the cone and you could hear it <laughs> as it came in. And, that, and there's lots of conversation in, in rabbinical writing about uh, how ornate it was uh, because, again, the Roman emperor put that in there thought it would be cool and really kind of show yeah your your god is cute but i'm better <laughs> but the priests uh didn't let him go any further so uh outside of that courtyard there was a uh, court of uh women then court of men and then there was the place that people did their burnt offerings so this courtyard is big um i mean it's it's still there today like uh uh, this where this courtyard is there's a there's a mosque uh built so the temple mound is i i can i can see it it's like in one section and then the golden dome on the rock is built over here and where the temple mound was supposed to have been is, is this big garden now um and then behind it is the the courtyard of the gentiles which is humongous and for lack of a better phrase, there's like a gift shop on the other side of it. And um, and then on the other side of the courtyard, there's this mosque that was built in the name of Muhammad's grandfather or something. I don't know. And then there's a, another a big old patio like thing. And I'm, this is huge, folks. I mean, it's not I'm not doing it justice. Like two blocks, three blocks. Like, yeah, like a, it's a, like it's like a it's a I want to say a block. I think you could say a city block You're standing on one corner lot you know that's where the temple mound was and then like two and a half corner uh two and a half lots over is where the golden dome on the rock is and muhammad did this really cool thing because uh before he built the golden dome on the rock both the the muslims and the jews have to wash for for uh, prayer and for worship so he built this really beautiful ornate bath Thing where you wash your ha hands and feet and it's still operational. I mean, this is big stuff, you know, uh, over the top of where the ritual baths were. Now, 
in his defense, nothing was left when this was being written. When Rome destroyed Jerusalem, all that was left was the, the cobblestone from where all these buildings used to be. And then the West Wall, uh, they left because Herod had built most of it. <laughs> totally not joking. I and, thought he built the temple too. Yeah, uh, that's what we've we've all now. Uh, Herod Herod put a lot of parts into it. Um, <laughs> some some argue that he even helped with building the columns. But uh, Herod the Great was it. All the Herods were really great engineers and just horrible human beings. But um, this, is a, this is a strong hint that maybe one of these days, real soon. We'll all experience what you got to experience. I would love, I would love that. Um, <laughs> okay, I, I really will get onto that. I, uh, it, it, it's a, you could, you could spend, you could, well, we did, we spent two and a half days in Jerusalem, and that was about right. I mean, I don't, I don't think I would have done much more, um, because there's just so much more to see. But we spent two and a half days in Jerusalem, and it was. Uh, kind of amazing. It's just the the walk around Jerusalem is this cobblestone stuff. So you just take your time and and you you recognize that when you walk around the this this place, uh, it's rocky and it kind of goes uphill. In other words, you do the Via della Rosa. Mm -hmm. It's about a half a mile, uh, and it's kind of uphill and to the side. And there's 14 stations instead of seven. Um, so, uh, it's nice cause you get to be on a tour bus and you don't have to do all that all the time, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get more onto this, but why I'm making a big deal out of this is this, so this, these money, these, these people throwing the money in are doing it out of abundance. Notice he doesn't call that as a problem. Right. We preach it as that's what you're oh. supposed to do. Out of your abundance, right. you are to give. That's biblical. That's Torah-based. Malachi himself is the one that says, well, you're supposed to give the first fruits of your labor, the first tenth of your labor, because they couldn't figure out how much that was supposed to be. Do I give everything to God? No, 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 no. You got to take care of your family and friends. So Malachi took said, no, let's just give the first tenth. Yeah. So Jesus doesn't complain about that. It was... It was where their heart was that was the yeah. problem. Uh, what I get out of that, that says the widow's poor. It's right. The widow and she's poor. Probably those two went along hand in hand most of the time. And she gave everything. Right. She sacrificed to do that offering. We give that money. Now, here's the part that I want to piggyback off of. If he just got done saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, soul, and blah, 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 blah. And to love your neighbor as yourself, should she be struggling? Good point. <laughs> and notice that the scripture labels her as a widow. Poor yeah. widow. And they what? were supposed to take care of widows and orphans. Amen. Devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance. A long prayer. The scribes, he literally curses the scribes right before this. And then here's your widow. She has nothing. And that's your fault. That's what he's calling out. But what we preach is you got to give till it hurts. 
<laughs> even when you have nothing. Like I just said. Yeah, that's like what I picked up on it was well, that's give till it hurts. That's okay. Yeah. That's that's but, not a but you make you make such a good point. This is why I love coming here. But uh <laughs> he's making a I mean, it's all about context. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you gotta look what's before and after sometimes when something is written. And he just finished talking about how widows are being treated. Yep. And you're going to devour them. You're going to treat them so bad that they're going to just starve to death. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a bad statement here about the entire culture. Uh, so one could argue that if we were going to preach that text, uh, are we taking care of our widows and our orphans? And is what's the focus? How should the focus be? Um, so I, I, I think about this a, a, a lot when we read the Gospel of Mark. I remember the first time that I had this conversation with a professor. Uh, I really came out of that frustrated because um, I know myself, I've preached this sermon that way uh, multiple times, multiple times. That Because there is also that component, right? Because there's nothing wrong with that giving under the abundance and then giving everything that you have. There's nothing wrong with that to preach that sermon. But in the context of the gospel of Mark, he has just literally had a scribe that somehow got it. He then has a question about uh, his lineage. How is this possible, you know, being of David? Then he has denounced the other scribes and saying that they're going to devour widows. And then there's these rich people that are, technically have to be Jewish, right? Because they're giving money to the temple. Mm -hmm. So, and here's a widow that's starving to death and she gave everything she had. It reminds me of a little story I heard. I don't know if this, this is kind of funny. It's a farm story now that I live on a farm, but like the, <laughs> the animals on the farm decided they were going to show appreciation to the farmer. So they said, we're going to prepare breakfast for them. And the cow said, uh, I will we'll serve breakfast. And, uh, so uh, I'm a cow. I'll deliver some milk. Uh, uh, chicken, you give him some eggs. And uh, and pig, you give him some bacon. And the pig said, I don't like that plan. And they're like, why not? He says, well, for you guys, you're just giving an offering. But for me, I'm making a sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, this is that. And that works. Well, I... Uh, I want to end with our study today as we get to uh, the destruction of the temple foretold. Now, the Gospel of Mark chapter 13 is designed um, academically as what we call the little apocalypse. There are images and visions that take place in this that are direct correlations to the destruction of the temple. So uh, I say that to you because um, it's going to make sense here in just a little bit. So. Here's what's going to happen. You haven't been taking care of your widows and orphans. Uh, now, let's talk about uh, the place that this actually matters in, the, the place that we're here worshiping. So we're going to read this. Uh, we're going to stop at verse 8. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. It's my favorite, like, little writing good message. <laughs> oh, look, Grandma, you're, what big teeth you have. Uh, then Jesus asked him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will let be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. 
when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, one of the only times that they're all mentioned at this, well, you know, these four uh, in the scripture uh, were there and asked him privately, tell us when this will be. And what will be the sign that all of these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the earth pangs. So I'm going to pause. We're going to stop there for today, but I wanted to have some conversation about that uh, first part there. Uh, so there's the another private teaching. This has happened earlier on in the Gospel of Mark. Um, stone and stone. This is supposed to be a description, description of the Old Testament prophets of how the stone was built and how the stone fell and how it fell down. Uh, this 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 part about false leaders um, is kind of cool, not in a good way. So when the the destruction of the temple happened, actually when Jesus died, uh, I've told you this before. There were lots of groups that came up that uh, claimed they were Jesus, um, or they claimed they were Christian. And um, we have a whole bunch of militant groups that pop up in the in between the 50s and the 60s. Um, and uh, then you have you have these pockets of Christianity, mainly because Paul has established all of these and, and understand uh, there's not a whole lot of them, but there's a bunch of people talking about Jesus at this time. So uh, the Gospel of Mark writer here is saying, okay, now that the temple of Jerusalem has been destroyed, we need to be careful as to who we listen to. Listen to the way that they teach. Do they teach like Jesus or do they, are, are they claiming to be Jesus or a disciple or an apostle? Um, there's a there's a direct correlation to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, um, because we know that all four of them started churches um, for real. <laughs> Uh, you know, Andrew is the what we call the patron saint of the Christian church in the Church of Scotland. You know, uh, that he he was uh, crucified upside down. Like there's a whole lineage of Andrew uh, that we know he started churches. James and John, the sons of thunder, we know that they went and started churches. Um, and then Peter, obviously. Um, so the writer is pointing out these people are safe, be careful of the others. Maybe not the other disciples, but these other people. Um, I I would argue till my dying day that this is Mark saying, don't listen to Paul. Because um, I don't know if you figured that out, that this is written after Paul's letters. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, I had, I've had, in the midst of all of the years I study the gospel of Mark and all of the academic stuff and the, the writing of articles and things on this, there was a guy um, and I, I didn't even put his name in memory because it was so outlandish. 
that that said the gospel of Mark was literally written to say that Paul was wrong uh, and that they needed to be careful of Mark, of Paul completely. Um, there, I've had professors that have said that Mark in here in this space could have mentioned Paul and didn't. Um, and so that's not what I think at all. I just, I can't, I can't back that up. There's not enough data to, to prove that one way or the other. So uh, notice that it's saying this is the beginning. This is when it's going to take place. Um, and that's why we stopped here. Um, because when we start in uh, verse nine, we start to get really into <clears throat> what took place at the destruction of the temple. Um, now, in some of your Bibles, you'll have a, a little footnote that says, well, here's the persecution getting ready to take place or the foretelling of the per persecution. But yeah, that's definitely what's going to take place. So I'm going to just stop. I'm going to stop the recording. Anybody have any questions, comments before I stop? Sure. I did way too much talking today. <laughs>